And uh, there's a, a YouTube channel called Cinefix or Cineflix. I think it's a typo, but Cineflix. Um, as you might guess, this um, channel talks about movies. They talk about all different aspects of movies, and um, they'll go through a, a variety of categories of discussions. A lot of times, they'll do a top ten list of best something, right, to do with movies. And in uh, one particular uh, countdown, there's a top ten list of character introductions. And so uh, they'll go through a bunch of different uh, movies and they'll list them out. Some of the movies that they talk about uh, that they liked was Raiders, in Lo- uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where you, uh, in that whole opening scene, you don't really see Indy until he finally gets to the place where he's about to enter the little cave and then he goes in and gets the goblet. Or um, the movie Batman, um, Batman Dark Knight. Um, I'm a big Batman fan, so I do like this uh, portrayal of the Joker. And you got Heath Ledger, he comes out. When you first meet him, all you see is this guy holding a bag and a mask. And you're wondering, is this the Joker? Is it him? You know, and he goes through the whole ordeal. They break into the, the bank, and then next thing you know, they start killing each other off for the money. And then finally, the one guy calls him out and says... Oh, I'm pretty sure the boss told you to kill me too. And he's like, no, I'm supposed to kill the bus driver. And then the bus just knocks the guy out and then he takes off the mask. And he's like, oh, it's the Joker. And so this list culminates with the top pick of who the best character introduction is. And their choice is Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka. Have you ever go back and watch the movie and think about it. What happens for the majority of the beginning of the movie? Do you even get to meet Willy Wonka? It's just talk, hype, theories. Oh, he's such a great showman. He's one of the greatest chocolatiers ever. Oh, he's been recluse forever. I wonder what he's doing in there. Finally, when the golden tickets are summoned and everyone shows up in front of the factory and they present their golden tickets, you see Gene Wilder come out as Willy Wonka. And what do you see? You see an old, run-down man, a little crippled. He's stumbling out. And everyone's like, oh, my goodness. What happened to him? What happened in that factory? And then suddenly he falls forward, somersault, pops up, and he's like, ta-da! He's fine. And they're like, oh my gosh, he is the greatest showman ever. And what we call that, when we look at movies or books or anything like that, we call that the reversal of expectation. Right? Good movies, they tend to give you a reversal of expectation, especially when they're trying to introduce a character. And that character usually has some kind of meaning, purpose, and you're always trying to figure out what this character really is. What's the real backstory? And in this whole entire story, we're trying to figure out what is Willy Wonka's real purpose? Why? Did he even open this factory up to these eight individuals with this golden ticket? 
So expectation builds, and we're wondering when we're wondering what's going to happen. And of course, the ending is a very nice, sweet ending. But let us look at look at our gospel text today. How did the gospel of Mark start? And if you notice, Mark is not like the other gospels. It gets right into the meat of it, and introduces two characters right off the bat. And the opening statement is, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then you get this right introduction of John the Baptist, who is baptizing people in the wilderness. You know, if you read Matthew, you have this whole lineage story, right, of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, and you trace it back, and he's the son of this, of son of his, son of this. And you get this whole backstory, but not in Mark. Mark only cares about the important stuff. He dives right into it. And you have to ask the question, why did he do that? Why did he just go right into the ministry of Christ? And then you have this expectation that John's building up for everyone. There will be one who comes behind me, after me, who is greater than I. And he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so what are you expecting? You're expecting this all-powerful Messiah, this great Savior. And then this Jesus comes out from Galilee, gets in the water, and is baptized by John. Isn't this such a reversal of expectation? We're expecting the Messiah, yet we have a man that comes down, kneels before another man, and receives the baptism of repentance for sins. Think about it. Our Messiah, who's great and powerful, came to be baptized for sin. So now you have this weird expectation that's a little undermined. Why did your Messiah, the Savior of all mankind, need to do that? Why did he, the one true Son of God, need to be baptized? When we, opening statement of Mark, this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We already have been built up. We know who he is. We know his background. He, we know what he's coming to do. But why did the Savior get baptized? Some speculate that he had to get baptized because of sin. The 33 years that he lived with his family and if that's really the case, our religion's a little bit of a poppycock, isn't it? It doesn't really make sense if he really had to be baptized for his sins. Our expectation is still pretty high. We're expecting him to do this great work. And he's supposed to be this son of God, this sinless being. Right? We, we've heard the stories. We know what has been proclaimed to us. 
We know that the sinless man goes to the cross and dies on the cross for our sins, but that's the case. Why did he have to be baptized? A baptism of repentance of sin. Another biblical scholar stated that Jesus is a true Israelite. Probably the purest, the most faithful, in the line of Melchizedek, the son of David. He is Israel brought down into one being. And that one being repented for our sins. He was baptized because of our sins. Because he is the one true Savior. The Savior that we need. That's what we expect, right? That's what we want. A Savior to come into this world to die for our sins. That doesn't sound right. Right? We know that story. We understand that story. But does that make sense to anybody? Why does our Savior, the one true God, have to die on the cross for a bunch of sinners? Why did he go to that extent? And we understand that the sky opened up, the dove descended, and he was proclaimed as God, the son of the one true God at his baptism. People have this wild expectation. That's why they can't come to God today. Have you ever noticed, have you ever tried to tell somebody about Jesus and you explain to them that Jesus had to die for your sins and he had to do all these different things and they're like, why? If he's God, if he's all powerful, if he's all great, why would he have to die for our sins? It's one of the hardest things for us to explain as Christians. Our faith drives us to know why he does it and we believe that one true fact. But other people, they have this expectation of a hero, someone grand. Think about when Jesus rode into Jerusalem to the cross on Palm Sunday. Everyone was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Save us. None of them was expecting their salvation came upon a cross. I preached uh, last week at um, St. Paul's Agora, and someone came out to me and said, why did John the Baptist, when in prison, ask Jesus if he was the Messiah? Right? We all expect him to know, right? Because he was there when he baptized Jesus. And the skies opened up, and this is the Son of God. So why did John, while imprisoned, ask the question, are you the one who we've been waiting for? He was a herald of God. He was the voice in the wilderness. He came into the world for the purpose 
of proclaiming Jesus Christ, the coming of the Messiah? Why did Peter, who witnessed the transfiguration, turn his back on Christ when he went to Calvary? Why did all these people that know Jesus is God doing the contrary? How many times have you done that in your lives? When you've known that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, but you turned your back on him. And the reality is we do it over and over again. We expect to be saved, be lifted up. One of those uh, great video YouTube videos that I always get to watch is that, um, you know, when people ask, uh, if you watch that movie, Evan Almighty, where... Um, the lady's, uh, the wife is talking to God and he's like, why do people ask for strength, courage, stronger love in their family? What do they expect? God's going to zap them with some God juice and they're going to start having some more strength, more courage or more love for their families? Or does God give them opportunities to have more strength? Or does he give them opportunities to be courageous? Or does he open opportunities to love his family members. Once again, it's a reversal of expectations. In our sinful ways, we expect God to magically relieve us. We expect Jesus to come out into this world and be our savior to free us from our bonds. And many of us cannot imagine that that route is the cross. That route is death for all mankind's sin. And that is why he was born. He was born into this world to have dominion over the world, dominion over sin. And he reversed our understanding of what it means to be saved, what it means to be righteous, what it means to be redeemed. Because he did all that work. He took upon himself our sins. And he was baptized. And immediately he was driven out into the wilderness and tempted. Just like we are tempted in our daily lives. And then he comes right back into the city and starts to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. I love uh, the fact that we call the Gospel of Luke the topsy-turvy gospel. It's because everything, everything we think that we understand in that gospel text, Jesus always turns it upside down on our heads. What we think we know, it's ter- usually not what we imagine. I'm very thankful for this community, for this um, county, because all these pastors are great. I get to meet with Mike and Pastor Koch and Pastor Nolte, and I'm I'm sure you guys met them this past couple weeks, and I learn something new every single time I go into a Bible study with them. 
what I thought I knew, what I expected my knowledge from seminary or being raised as a pastor's kid, my expectations always reversed. And I always find out there's so much more to learn. And I'm reminded that our God does so many wonders for us. And he did the one thing that we all least expect a hero, a savior, a Messiah to do, is to come into this world as a lowly infant, born in a stable, laid in a manger, immediately fled to Egypt, comes back, gets baptized for us, and then eventually goes to the cross humbly, without reservations, without regret, without remorse, willingly spreads his arms upon that cross and die for our sins. And as we continue to celebrate the coming, his first coming, we continue to await for his second coming. And he will come to judge the living and the dead with all glory, honor, and praise. And what will happen is that he comes out as our advocate, advocates for sinners, those who continue to sin day in, day out, us miserable Christians that want to be better but stumble day in and day out. He comes out and says, these are the ones that has confessed that I redeem. And these are the ones that I stand as advocate before judgment to say they are righteous. They are saved. They are the children of God. And in this great reversal, we give thanks to God our Father for the love that he has given each and every single one of us because what creator, what God would love a bunch of sinners and give them a chance to be reunited with him? There's no other God out there like that, just ours. Amen.